BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, get your credit cards out. It is Cyber Monday, everybody. <laughs> what do you say? Hello, hello, hello on a Monday, November 26th, the Monday after Thanksgiving. So great to see you today. Thank you for uh, climbing on board here and joining us on the Bill Press Show. Booming out to you live, as always, from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day, not only the news of the day, uh, but the news of the last, um, I don't know, four or five days since we've been together live. And uh, it has uh, been a nonstop uh, news weekend, uh, in addition to all the fun and all the good food and good family and good friends. But we got a lot to uh, catch up on today, which we will do, of course, with your help. Uh, we'll be taking a look at uh, Donald Trump's latest uh, missives from um, down in Mar-a-Lago over the Thanksgiving weekend, where he says the number one thing that we have to be thankful for in this country is him. President T, he now calls himself. President T. Yes. What is he, a rapper? <laughs> I mean, God, the latest, right? Um, yes, the campfire is out in California. Big, big uh, Senate runoff in Mississippi tomorrow. We'll take a look at that. And uh, a NASA spacecraft landing on Mars this afternoon. Whoa, so much to talk about. Can't wait to get into it with all of you. And can't wait to get your comments on the news of the day. You know how to do so. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We dive right in, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. All right. So there was a very secret wedding here in Washington, oh, D.C. Oh, not so secret now. <laughs> not so secret anymore. Right. Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski were married in a secret ceremony at the National Archives on Saturday. Now, they have been a couple for quite some time. They didn't really come public 
until May of last year. You might remember that in 2016, Donald Trump sort of yeah, told everybody right, that right, we were dating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, but we all... Everybody, it's everybody the worst kept that. secret right, in, in, right. in, uh, in Washington and in the entertainment or political news uh, uh, realm. So they were married. They were married by Elijah Cummings, Congressman Elijah Cummings from Maryland. He officiated, uh, and they said their I do's again at the National Archives. So. Good for them. They're both good friends. Congratulations, Joe and Mika. Uh, the archives are kind of a funny place to get married but anyhow i've never been to a wedding there yeah I, I, it's not a popular place i guess i don't think there are many weddings that's there. what i was gonna that's what i was trying to say i, I yeah. don't think it really yeah. happens at all but bill let me ask you a question yes is your christmas tree up hell no okay well there's there, no there, no no, is, no i no that it's way way too early well the fire I, hazard to put them up this early. <laughs> is there a real tree well let me let me just explain because there is a debate over the right time to put up the christmas tree some people say you can't do it until december some people say you can't do it until Thanksgiving. Middle of December. Some people say, okay, now this is this I think is probably week you. before week before Christmas. This is where I think you would fall in. The twelve days of Christmas. The twelve yeah, days right. leading okay. up to Christmas. Yeah, I, I, that's the right time to right. do it. I was just curious where you stood on this because there are a lot of different things, right? So the Italians sort of have an agreed only, upon uh, date that it's the first week of December. Italians? Yes. Well, they're nuts. The the Australians, by the way, they think that they can put it up <laughs> in early November. Early November for a Christmas tree. What do they know? <laughs> they're upside down anyway, right? right? Exactly. I don't disagree with that. But again, more and more people sort of say, look, there, there there's really two, one major rule, I should say, one major rule. Don't put it up before Thanksgiving. Do not put it up before Thanksgiving. If you put it up before Thanksgiving, you're definitely breaking the rules. No. One major rule is week before Christmas. I think that's too late. But I de- but but I'll take 12 days. I'll compromise. I, I say 12 days sounds about right. I'd say 12 days sounds about right. Compromise on that. Yeah. And it has to be a real tree. Well, damn it. This is again where we disagree. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, we have a lot to be thankful for indeed. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. And Donald Trump says the number one thing we have to be thankful for is him. Yeah, I'll be thankful when he's the hell out of the White House. What do you say, everybody? It's good to be back. And it's great to see you here on a Monday, Monday, November 26th. Here we go, the Bill Press Show. Lots and lots to talk about. Hope you had a spectacular Thanksgiving weekend. Lots of good family, lots of good food, lots of good friends, lots of good football, and uh, maybe lots of good shopping. I don't know. Uh, whatever is on your was on your plate over the weekend. Uh, hope it was a good one, and we're ready to. You're ready to dive in now. To all the news of the day uh, and a lot to catch up on here on the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us again, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, whether you're joining us online, on the radio, on television. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the program online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And of course, our podcast growing, growing, growing every day. Check it out. Bill Press Show anytime during the day. Check out the podcast listen to uh, part of the interviews you missed in the morning or re-listen to ones that you really liked and want to hear again. 
uh, plus all of the special stuff that we send up on our podcast uh, during the day and on the weekends at Bill Press Show, at BP Show, uh, youtube.com slash BP Show, or go to BillPressShow.com for the YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. That's where you get all the, of our videos. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we, and again, as you mentioned, we put up a lot of stuff, even though we were off on Thursday and Friday. Yeah. Uh, we did record some special content, which you can get <laughs> either on our podcast or at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And joining your course on television on the great free speech TV, Coast to Coast, on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And WCPT Chicago getting battered by this winter storm heading in yesterday. I saw some 700 flights canceled at O'Hare Airport yesterday. Uh, yeah, happy travel day coming home from Thanksgiving. The busiest travel day, second busiest, I guess, of the year. The first is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and I traveled on both this year. So there you go. Uh, been on the road, as you know, for um, almost a week. And um, I, I got to tell you, um, saw some great things I just wanted to mention to you quickly. Uh, started out at the Miami Book Fair. If you have a chance to go to the Miami Book Fair, it's the week before Thanksgiving. It is phenomenal. Tens of thousands of people there at the Miami-Dade Community College in downtown Miami. And uh, I was on a panel there with two good friends, Dan Fe both from the Obama White House, uh, Dan Pfeiffer, who has a new book out called Yes, We Still Can, uh, and then Ben, um, uh, not Osborne, um, Ben, Ben, Ben. From the Obama White House? Yeah. Ben Rhodes? Ben Rhodes. Yeah, Ben sorry, Rhodes. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, ben Osborne's another friend. Ben Rhodes who has a new book out, The World As It Is. Uh, both great guys. We had a big, big crowd there for uh, our panel. Uh, but it's just a, a really, really fun event. And everybody, everybody is is there. Sonia Sotomayor was there. Our good friend April Ryan was there. Um, Hampton Sides. Just a great new book out about the Vietnam War. I mean, the Korean War was there. Uh, it's great. Dave, saw our friend David Korn from uh, Mother Jones. Uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful event. Uh, then went out to San Francisco for a couple of uh, book events, including one at the uh, Commonwealth Club, down to uh, Los Angeles for a few meetings, but on the road, back here, and then up to New York for the weekend. I got to tell you, New York City, man, for two things, that for the holidays, it is very, very festive, of course, in New York. Interesting, the Rockefeller tree, Rockefeller Center tree, was not, it was up. But not lit. They have the official lighting ceremony this Wednesday. So, to what we were just talking about, it's yeah, a, yeah. As long as it's yeah. after Thanksgiving, I was surprised with the Thanksgiving crowds and the Macy's, yeah, Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. I applaud their restraint, frankly. But uh, there's a huge number of people around, and everybody kept saying, "When are you going to turn the lights on? When are you going to turn the lights on?" This Wednesday. Um, the 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 store windows on Fifth Avenue, got Saks Fifth Avenue and the Bergdorf Goodman, of course, particularly, were just absolutely incredible. Um, I also, of course, on Fifth Avenue, walked by the Trump Tower. I want you to know, I was very, very restrained. It was hard keeping Carol restrained. I was, you know, she <laughs> she wanted to flip them the bird. I wouldn't let her do that. But um, we, so it was very festive. And the other thing we did was went down to. The uh, World Trade Center. I haven't been down since they've completed the World Trade Center and built this incredible thing called the Oculus, which is this new transportation center. Never seen a structure like that. 
And then we went up the top of the One World Center, uh, which have you been up there, Peter? I have actually. Yeah, unbelievable, it's insane, uh, totally insane. Yeah, uh, but if, next time you're in New York, if you're anywhere near New York, you got to do it at least once. You'll probably do it once in your lifetime. But it's really, really worth worth seeing. They've done an incredible job down there. We were down at that 9/11 site. We've been down there twice before. Once was right after 9-11 when it was just a big burning hole still. We went down again just after they'd finished the two pools or ponds or you know, fountains, I guess, that they call right the very the very sites of the two towers uh, with the names of all the people who had lost their lives on, on 9-11 etched around the edge of it, sort of like the, uh, the Vietnam Memorial is. Uh, but the rest of the site was not completed. Now it is just... Beautiful, beautifully um, designed and uh, and landscaped and everything. It's just a, it's really really worth doing. Wanted to mention those uh, for little tips for you when you're uh, planning your planning your next trip. Meanwhile, boy, on uh, where do we start? I got so you know there's such a thing called the Friday news dump. Let's start there because this might have been the biggest news of the weekend and got l- such little coverage. Uh, the Friday news dump is when people have bad news they want to put out, right? They usually do it on a Friday around 5 o'clock. Okay. The worst Friday news dump of the year would be the Friday after Thanksgiving around 5 o'clock. They do it that way, right? So, of course, nor- on a normal Friday, so nobody will know. Uh, hopefully, nobody will notice the bad news. Uh, on the Friday after Thanksgiving is something you really want to bury uh, and that's what the Trump administration did the Friday after Thanksgiving with this new report on climate change. It is deadly. And here's the thing about it. Remember, last spring there was a report, which we talked about, put out by the United Nations. And some 200 scientists around the world through the United Nations saying, yet again, climate change is real. Climate change is already happening. Climate change is here. And it is going to have, is already having devastating effects on agriculture, on trade, on just the survival of some low-lying areas. And it's going to get worse um, within the next 20, 30 years unless we do something. Okay, that was the UN. Donald Trump dismissed it said it didn't mean anything, didn't believe it, and, of course, continued on his efforts to eliminate or reverse any efforts to deal with climate change that had been adopted either under the George Bush administration or the Obama administration. Now, on top of that, we have another report. But this one, get this, this is by, this is an American report by 13 government agencies. Hello, agencies that are part of the Trump administration. 13 federal agencies came out with their report Friday, which not only echoes the U.N. report, it goes even further. And it says by the end of the century, the American economy is going to be slammed anywhere from 10 percent up in terms of devastating impacts across the board on, yes, on agriculture, on manufacturing, on tourism, again, on just survival of certain urban areas, particularly on the East Coast. 
Uh, and it's, it basically is a dire warning that we've got to take this seriously and do something about it. And, of course, the Trump administration, they couldn't block it. They knew it would come out. So they released it Friday after Thanksgiving and, ne- and then never said anything about it, and nobody's paid much attention to it at all. It is just, I mean, so irresponsible. I think it's criminal behavior to ignore this problem any longer. I mean, think but about all the different think about all the different reports that we've gotten on climate change over the last 3 or 4 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. They just keep getting worse. Right. Like the outlook for how we're going to do as a planet it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse with every one of these reports that come out. And I don't know how many more warning signs or uh cautionary reports come out to say like We've got to do something before somebody takes it seriously. And I just, yeah. I, I think I've kind of resigned myself that, like, no one's going to take it seriously as long as Republicans are in charge. No. And, uh, you know, uh, even if there are some Republican believers, right, as long as Donald Trump continues to um, ignore it or, again, try to reverse everything, they won't stand up to Donald Trump, not on not on any issue, certainly not on climate change. But I thought it was really significant among, uh, uh, I mean, the report is like 1,600 and some pages long. But it does say, let me just read one quote, that the people that are going to be hard, the part of the country that are going to be hardest hit, the farm belt. Uh, here's what the report says. Rising temperatures, extreme heat, drought, wildfire on rangelands, and heavy downpours are expected to increasingly disrupt agricultural productivity in the United States. Expect increases in challenges to livestock health, declines in crop yields, and quality and changes in extreme events in the United States and abroad. And there you are. And every every night on television, you see these farmers who say, Oh, we love Donald Trump. Yeah, he may put some tariffs on that's costing us money. And he doesn't do anything about climate change, but we're going to stick with Donald Trump, idiots. When are they going to wake up and realize he is their biggest enemy when it comes to their future livelihood by not doing anything about climate change? Whoa. So that big story. Uh, And then there was so much else over the weekend. Um, I hope, I'm sure, or I hope, are you caught up with uh, the president? The president is yet again declaring war on judges. Uh, we remember it all started with uh, Judge Curiel from San Diego, when uh, the one who ruled uh, was t- handling rather the Trump University case, and Donald Trump said he could never reach a fair verdict because he happened to be of Mexican descent. Um, he went on uh, attacking another judge uh, as a so-called judge. Uh, and then he lost another court case last week uh, where he was saying that we have to, uh, we cannot let, uh, if, if people come into the country to seek asylum, but they enter the country illegally to seek asylum, then they're going to be immediately deported. They can't, uh, that's not going to be allowed. And a federal judge ruled um, that uh, that was uh, the president had overstepped his authority, didn't have the authority to say that. In other words, yet again, uh, what he did was wrong. Uh, whereupon, the president attacked him as an Obama judge. Yeah. 
disagree with him. He's an Obama. He's nothing but an Obama judge. And then the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, John Roberts, may I remind you, a Republican himself, appointed by George W. Bush, the chief justice of the Supreme Court came out and said, no, Mr. President, we do not have Obama judges and Bush judges. We don't have Clinton judges and Trump judges or whatever. We have judges who are there to be to make sure that there's equal justice for all and they're doing a good job. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, do you realize how rare that is for the chief justice, no matter who it is, Rehnquist or, you know, Earl Warren or anybody, to actually make, to contradict the president of the United States is huge. And then... Of course, Donald Trump slammed back at John Roberts. Yeah, I just I want to pull up his tweet yeah. from uh, a couple of days ago because it it, it moved really quickly, right? Yes. J- John yeah. Roberts said something, and then Donald Trump does what he always does. He took to Twitter, and he says, Justice Roberts can say what he wants, but the Ninth Circuit is a complete and total disaster. It is out of control, has a horrible reputation, is overturned more than any circuit in the country, 79%, and is used to get an almost guaranteed result. Judges must not legislate security and safety at the border or anywhere else, and then goes on, blah, 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 blah. And one of those tweets, he said something like, you know, we have to respect the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. How about reading the Constitution, right? I mean, if you read the Constitution, there are three equal branches of government, equal branches of government. The Justice Department is not there as slaves or servants of the President of the United States. Um, I thought that was an extraordinary exchange. But this is in keeping with, again, Donald Trump's attacks on judges, but also his attacks on the Justice Department and his ordering, telling the White House counsel, as we learned over the weekend also, that he wanted the Justice Department to prosecute Hillary Clinton and James Comey. Again, the president ordering the Justice Department what cases and, and using them as a what cases that what people are prosecuting using them as a political weapon. Uh, but I think that we're going to remember for a long time that exchange with the Chief Justice of the United States. And I, I'll tell you one thing, you know, as much as I disagree with him and some of his decisions, bravo for John Roberts. And he showed the guts, he showed the balls that Republicans in Congress don't have to stand up to these pre- to this president. And you know, this is something probably that he'd been that had been bothering him for a long time. I'm sure he wanted to speak out before, but when finally, this was the straw that broke the camel's back for for Judge John for Chief Justice John Roberts, when President Trump attacked uh, uh, the the this one judge as an Obama judge, and then of course we get Donald Trump and his famous phone call to the troops on Thanksgiving morning. Now put this this. Let's put this in context, right? Remember where this phone call was made from. It wasn't that long ago that we saw George W. Bush on Thanksgiving dealing, handing out, serving Thanksgiving dinner with the troops in Iraq. Barack Obama doing the same thing. How many Thanksgivings were they over there? Donald Trump for the second year in a row spends Thanksgiving at his gold-plated Mar-a-Lago resort, and two years into his presidency, he has still not visited any combat zone. Nowhere in the world. Uh, This man who pretends to love the military. Then he makes his phone call. So the cover-up 
because he got criticism for staying in Mar-a-Lago, is, okay, we're going to show our love for the troops. We're going to make a phone call to them. When you really care. When you really care. Just make a phone call from your mansion. Yeah. And then he gets these commanders and these troops on the line, and he starts talking to them. And then he's, which is, hey, we appreciate what you're doing. You're over there away from your families. You know, we want you to know we're thinking of you. We, you know, we love you. Thank you for all that you're doing. All that's good stuff. Any president should do that. First of all, if should visit them also. But then Donald Trump turns it into a political rally and starts asking them, so what do you think about that situation on the border? Oh, man, it's really bad, isn't it? And how about that Justice John Roberts? Can you believe he criticized me? And, uh, and you know, oh, yeah, and that goes on and on and starts asking them their comments, dragging them into the politics of the day and into his perverted right-wing politics. It was really disgusting and really way, way over the line. Totally inappropriate to engage and putting them on the spot. These poor commanders who are there to serve our country and us, not any particular president of any particular party. Uh, And he was trying, again, to use them as political pawns, just like he used troops at the border, sending troops to the border as political pawns. And then, of course, in that same phone call, he was asked, or at that same little, um, he took some questions from reporters before he made the phone call or after, whatever, that same setting. He was asked, so what do we have to, what do you have to be thankful for, Mr. President? What are you most thankful for, Mr. President? For having a great family and for having uh, made a tremendous difference in this country. I've made a tremendous difference in the country. <laughs> Wow, man. Yes, in other words, I'm mostly thankful for me for being so great. I would expect nothing less, frankly. Right. It doesn't surprise me. And he followed that up with a tweet uh, just on Sunday where he said, (laughs) (laughs) um, It's so great that oil prices are falling. Parentheses. Thank you. President T. President T. President T. God. The rocker, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think if Mr. T. Yeah. President T. Do you think Mr. T could sue him? I don't know. He should. President T. Make Mr. T. President T. Uh, by the way, it's also worth pointing out uh, the um, AAA uh, reported yesterday that the average price of gas on Thanksgiving last year was $2.51. The average price this year is $2.56. Oh, so it went up. Okay, thanks, President T. So it's actually a little higher. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, President T. (laughs) Oh, God, what a mess. What a total mess. All right, on other... uh, Bo, yes, Uh, he was asked also about um, at that... uh, So... At that little uh, session there, and it wasn't exactly a news conference, a little gaggle, if you will. Um, what about the fact that some Republicans now are saying that we should be a little tougher on MBS since the um, evidence, there's more and more evidence that he ordered the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, and uh, our intelligence, the CIA, has in fact come to that conclusion based on the evidence that they've seen, 
No, 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 no. For Donald Trump, it's all about the money, and he's not going to, it doesn't matter what MBS did, he's not going to break ties with him. I hate the crime. I hate what's done. I hate the cover-up. And I will tell you this, the crown prince hates it more than I do, and they have vehemently denied it. The CIA points it both ways. You know, and as, as I said, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but I will say very strongly that it's a very important ally. And if we go by a certain standard, we won't be able to have allies with almost any country. That that is wow. so troubling. First of all, <laughs> the CIA doesn't have it both ways. The CIA says MBS engineered ordered the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, and he was murdered in the, of course, uh, Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Number one. Number two. What do you mean if we go by that we won't if we if we do anything about this that we'll never have any more allies in the world that there if there's certain standards. This is not a difficult line to draw. You lure a journalist, particularly one who lives in the United States, into your consulate, kill him, dismember the body. Who knows whatever we still don't know what happened to the body parts. Rumors that they were dissolved in some chemical solution or something. And you order that and then you just say, Oh, well, you know, that's not so good, but, boy, he's our good friend and our good ally, and he's buying lots of weapons from us, so we don't care. Uh, it's hard to draw that line. I think it's hard to draw that line for anybody else except for except for Donald Trump. And, by the way, the New York Times reports this morning, too, um, you go through, it's not just that the Saudis are buying weapons from the United States. The Saudis are spending a lot of money uh, at Donald Trump hotels and facilities all around the world, especially here in Washington, D.C. And they've been buying condos from Don, just like the Russians from Donald Trump for decades. Yeah, that's the real money connection. This is something that the Democrats that were just elected to the House and the, the, the majority in the House, has, I, I think, has got to make a priority. You know, I like, look, there are a lot of things that we want to see them do. Absolutely. Right. Like it'd be it'd be great to see Donald Trump's tax returns and all that. I'm not sure that that really honestly matters, but they should probably go ahead and do it. But this is something that could absolutely positively uh, ruin us as a country if we don't get it under control. Yeah. You mean, wh- how, how can you what do you stand for? Right? right. I mean, our standing in the eyes of other sovereign countries has already fallen, uh, and it, we can only, I mean, its <laughs> it could get a lot worse. It could get a whole lot worse. And again, I come back to this. Where are the Republicans in Congress who are going to stand up and say, no, Mr. President, no, we are better than this. No, we do have some standards. We do have some moral standards, uh, believe it or not. Yeah, still left in this country. Uh, you wouldn't know it if you listened to Donald Trump. And we haven't even gotten to the mess at the border yet where uh, American uh, uh, immigration officials are firing tear gas at women and children trying to cross the border in at the San Ysidro uh, crossing in San Diego. Uh, so that and a lot more are coming up uh, with Capri Cafaro, former Democratic member of the Ohio Senate, good friend of ours, will be coming along uh, a little bit later. Nate James from the... Uh, EPA, AFGE, head of their uh, local at EPA, 
and then Niels Lesniewski from Roll Call. So lots coming up here on the Bill Press Show this Monday, November 26th. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? And on a Monday, November 26th, here we go, the Bill Press Show. Hope that weekend was a great one for you. It certainly was for me. And we are back at it this morning. And remember, today it is Cyber Monday and uh, uh, seven projected $7.7 billion that people are going to spend online today. Uh, and do I have a deal for you? Look what I'm wearing here, right? This is a Carol Press scarf. Online, uh, go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to Carol Press Scarves. But you want something very, very, first of all, warm to keep you warm in this cold this winter blast just coming across the country these days. Uh, and this is not this is not a manufactured product. This is not one of a thousand. Each one of these scarves is hand woven by Carol Press in her studio. I see her do it every day, uh, right behind our house here on Capitol Hill. Uh, so each one is a distinct work of art. They come in like this, rayon chenille or bamboo, all kinds of different colors and patterns. So, uh, you know, the $7.7 billion, you don't have to spend it all on Carol Press scarves. Maybe just, just $1 billion of the $7.7 <laughs> 7 10% even we would just take. But check out check out BillPressShow.com, the Carol Press scarves. And let's say hello to Capri Cafaro, uh, our good friend, former state senator from Ohio, and now just... Uh, all-around um, talker, activist, uh, I don't know. How do you brand yourself these well, how days? How do I brand myself these days? Well, obviously, former minority leader of the Ohio Senate, but I'm uh, executive in residence at American University School of Public Affairs. All right, there. There you go. Yeah. So there you go. And uh, a fellow at uh, the Bipartisan Policy Center, although I don't usually use that because of uh, 501c3 rules. Oh. So, but... We don't want well, to get you in trouble. That's right. All right, right. We've been uh, at it for a little bit this morning here. Peter, uh, people chiming in? Yes, indeed. A couple of comments here. First of all, from Gene Bailey says, Bill, I was watching you on the Commonwealth Co Club of California show about Trump. Oh, huh. Wow. Uh, right. The people of Roman Empire were more fortunate than us in that, Cali <laughs> in, that in Caligula, they got the whole horse. Agree completely with you about Franklin Graham. We certainly underestimate the power of Charlatan sounds like a pretty decent show that they caught you on. <laughs> uh, we were talking about the right time to put up the Christmas tree. Phil says oh, yes. the twelve days of Christmas are traditionally Christmas Day, Christmas Day plus eleven, not the twelve days preceding the holiday. That tradition was co-opted from the pagan solstice festival. So some people think that the twelve right. days of Christmas is the right time to put up the Christmas tree. We had this big debate before. about when you put up your Christmas tree. I think people put them up too early. I'm I think they put them up too early. I but I it's now that Thanksgiving is over, it is time to put up the Christmas tree, which is what I'm doing this week. It's too early. Still, still too early. Yeah. See, I, uh, see I I'm into the week before Christmas. Peter's into two weeks before. Or? I'd say about two weeks before. I'm I, basically I, the first week of December. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that's fine. I think as long as you put it up after Thanksgiving. Yeah, You're fine. I just can't deal with you know how literally like the body isn't even like cold yet with oh, like yeah. Halloween, <laughs> right? No, no, I know. And then no. and the That's next thing early. you know, like yeah. it's like you know, 
Christmas stockings and Santa hats, and I, I just know. can't deal. Oh, I know no. people who decorate their house with, for Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. That's the tradition, and I just think that's too much. I think that's too much. Anyway, uh, one other comment from Ron Bouchard talking about the fight between Chief Justice John Roberts uh, and Donald Trump. Ron says Roberts had no choice but to rebuke Trump. The court gets its credibility by appearing nonpartisan. Roberts is trying to protect the next round of partisan decisions, and somebody else wonders if Donald Trump thinks that Chief Justice John Roberts moonlights as Fox News correspondent John Roberts. Maybe he got the two confused. Oh, yeah. yeah. John Roberts the... is actually, I mean, the, as, as Chief White House correspondent, is actually a pretty decent human being. He's doing a good job. Yeah. You yeah. Do, you do, you know, there is, there is a difference news. between the news shop and the opinion sure. shop. Yeah. Yeah. Which are night and day. Anyway, <laughs> find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, you can uh, join in the fun there. You've got to say, for a chief justice to speak out critical of the president of the United States is a rare. Yes, event. I talked about this actually yesterday on Fox News on Media Buzz. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I get the fact that obviously we talk a lot about the importance of um, judicial appointments in, in political campaigns. Fair enough. Um, but the aspiration, the assumption um, is that we have an impartial judiciary, number one. So I it seems to me that Chief Justice John Roberts, who frankly is already hated by the right because they're like, oh, you're you're fake. You know, look what you did for Obamacare, blah, 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 blah. But I feel as if he almost had no choice but to step up. And it is incredibly unprecedented that you have a fight between the president of the United States and the chief justice of the Supreme yeah. Court, yeah. you know, in, in open air. Um, but I think it, it speaks volumes about the climate that we're in um, and the political reality that that we live in where, um, you know, our values um, as a nation are secondary somehow to transactional aspects of whether it's trade or, you know, with Saudi Arabia and, and some of these other oil prices or whatever. Um and and that is to me really um, pretty disturbing. It seemed to me too, and I, I don't know. I've met Roberts a, a few times, but um, and you know he's he's a, a nice guy, and I don't agree with all of his I've decisions, him, especially yeah. you know um, the uh, uh, campaign finance stuff. Right? Oh God, yeah, yeah, Citizens United, right? But um, I have to admire him for what he did, and you know, it seemed to me that this had been building for a long time. Yeah, right. But Donald Trump slams that this judge he can't he'll never reach a fair decision because he's a Mexican right right or and so this has been building for a while. I think this finally with John Robert said well, and I think all right finally I've got to say you know something. you also put it in the in the larger context of um, President Trump not necessarily recognizing for whatever reasons that we have three and I, I, I overheard you guys say this earlier yeah. equal branches branches of, of government, government. Oh, hello so you know he he. Is not the CEO of the United States. Um, he's not the CEO of the Republican Party. I think he approaches it in that manner, where you know, and he's you know, he's a privately held real estate developer. He doesn't have a board of directors. You know, in the last forty-five years, his entire orbit revolves around him. And so, I think he sees even you know, obviously duly elected Republicans, like they need to listen to me because I'm the president of the United States. 
No, they have to listen to their constituents because they have to deal with what they have to deal with, you know. And so, and judges need to look at the facts. And judges need to look at the facts, <laughs> and, and, and and the case law, and the Constitution, and right. you know, it's not all about you know rebuking Trump. You, uh, so so much so much we've got to talk so about. Much. But um, <laughs> I, we we haven't yet talked about the situation at the border, which just which of course erupted over the weekend. Um, and uh, we know what happened. There. Some of the there was a march, right? And then some of them decided to rush the border. Yeah. Uh, a, uh, from ABC News, uh, it was Marcy Gonzalez who was uh, covering this, and they started firing tear gas. Here's her report on what she saw. I was talking to a mother who said she saw tear gas canisters land right in front of her children, that their eyes were watering, they were screaming and crying. I had a 15-year-old come up to me and hand me a used tear gas canister saying that it came just inches away from hitting him. I guess the question is, to what extent is this, did we create this crisis at the border? In, in what sense? I mean, in the sense that because we've sort of elevated it, that then we've created brand, anxiety amongst those that are coming. Brand, branded them as criminals and 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 um, based, have, have, you know, said, OK, you can't if you're going to seek asylum, you got to stay in Mexico this whole time. I mean, it's just it's just one step after the other. Right. Of um, of increasing the tension down there, I think. Sure. To, to what there is a process in place, by the way. Just as an aside, I don't know anybody who's for open borders. I was just going to say, I mean, look, nobody is right? the whole concept of people are for open borders. And I mean, I know that there was the whole like, oh, abolish ICE thing, which I honestly I think most people are not for abolishing ICE. If there's a necessity for reform or whatever, that's a different co- conversation. But I don't think anyone is, is suggesting, um, although it's been, you know, you know, reported that way that, um, you know, Democrats or progressives or whomever want to just like. Open the floodgates and no, let anybody no, in because know. somehow that's going to give us more votes. And that is just disgusting to me because, first of all, it's also saying that Hispanics and Latinos are somehow a monolith that we're going to bribe with open borders that are going to vote Democrat. That's ludicrous. Absolutely ridiculous to me. So um, it's a really sad situation. And if we wanted to be serious about addressing this issue, we need to talk about our asylum laws, uh, our actual immigration laws and not just and I guess President Trump just tweeted earlier that he wants to permanently close the border. I have no idea what the hell that means. How many times has anybody kept track of how many times he has threatened to shut down the border? (laughs) I mean, I have not. I actually don't follow President Trump on Twitter. It's almost uh, It's pretty good for your mental health. Exactly. I think if you counted up the number of days he's been in the White House and multiply by two, that's how many times he has threatened to shut down the border, right? It's always it always comes up as if you could, right? But I don't know anybody who's wants, as you've pointed out, who wants to just get rid of all the border patrol and just have an open flow, right? Nobody. I, and also, I didn't think the idea that we're just going to permanently close the border is right. not realistic. Well, I mean, either. and here's one so, thing that is not really getting a lot of coverage. We used to talk about comprehensive immigration exactly. reform. Yes, and I. And that, how quaint, but it, how important? It's it's the most important. I mean, as I said earlier, I mean, if if we are serious about addressing these issues, if we actually care about our quote unquote border security and you know ensuring that um, you know we avoid a humanitarian crisis as well, which is which I, is what's mounting exactly. Um, we need to be we need to be responsible, and we need to you know actually 
talk about comprehensive immigration reform. Now, I'm sure, again, it's the whole wall thing also like holds this thing hostage now as well. Um, I mean, to me, I say, okay, fine, give some money to enhance border security. If that's what it's going to take um, to have a real discussion about comprehensive immigration reform, deal with the dreamers, do a number of other things, go for it. I mean, we need to be able to find ways to compromise, which is gone now. Nobody wants to let, you know, everybody's a purist, and that's not how government works. Right. But we get to the point when, when, it, when it escalates to the point that we are firing tear gas at kids at kids across the border right into mexico kids on the is that even legal that's a good question i mean no seriously i mean if we're firing anything across a border i mean that's got to be a violation of a number of things i mean because one would think um you know okay i get the fact that we're defending you know our frontier but you know without being without you know, a congressional declaration of war. I mean, there's a there's some real squishy nuance here that could potentially be a violation of a number of things. And it certainly shows that things are out of control and things are not working. So let's talk about Ohio. Um, what happened in Ohio? The blue wave, if there was a blue wave, I think there was, and maybe not as big as people were hoping for, uh, certainly didn't hit every part of the country. Right. But it seemed to... One of the areas that seemed to bypass was the state of Ohio. Look, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, everybody's freaking out over this. Were you surprised that Cordray did not win? No. Um, I, you because? Know, I, um, because, again, Ohio is a center-right state and has been. Look, Ohio hasn't had a Democrat, has had one Democratic governor, governor since 1990. So let's put it in perspective. People are freaking out over this. And I don't think that people should freak out nearly as much as they are because— Ohio really, for statewide elections and legislative elections, um, has been, you know, Republican for at least, you know, 25 years. Um, The state Senate has been Republican since 1984. You were the minority leader for how long? Almost four years. How did you get elected? Uh, To be minority leader? No. In general? general. uh, In general, I was actually, I... Uh, came in um, and I filled the unexpired term of my predecessor who was elected attorney general in 2006. Um, and But you did get elected in a red, in, yeah, in center-right uh, well, and, Ohio. And, and I think that the, the thing is, is that my area, so Trumbull County and Ashtabula County, have traditionally been Democratic counties. So, um, you know, Trumbull County, deep blue, um, Ashtabula kind of 50-50, but, you know, traditionally has been, you know, more of a, you know, blue-collar Democrats. So it's, uh, my seat has been historically a Democratic seat. So what you're saying is people should not be surprised that Ohio Right, don't freak Republic. out, guys. Like, yeah. this isn't like the blue wave missed us and somehow, like, why? Look, Trump won this state by eight points. You know why? Because Democrats voted for Donald Trump. But, so, you know, and, and I think that... Um, you know, the Democrats actually did run a pretty good campaign. What I thought was going to happen was it was going to be a mixed bag. I mm-hmm. that because, for example, because the top of the ticket on both sides was not particularly strong. I mean, DeWine and Cordray are not like lighting fires. Right. So I figured that was going to be close and it was kind of close. Um, but so that it's not enough to pull, you know, your other down ballot statewide, your auditor, your treasurer, blah, 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 secretary of state. Our attorney general candidate, the Democrat, was a U.S. attorney. He was the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Ohio. 
the guy that he ran against, and they both have bad ballot names. You have Steve Duddleback and Dave Yost, okay? <laughs> so it's not like it's like, you know, you yeah. got one guy who's got a good ballot name. And that surprised me because there were some people that are, I'm like, how do you pass up that experience? But people were just, I think it's because they've lost some trust in the Democratic Party. Right. So no statewide, we'll get to Sherrod Brown in just a minute, but no statewide um, state officials were uh, uh, Democrat. That's whatsoever. correct. And the nope. legislature is both. They're both, both Republican, but we did we did pick up uh, some House state house seats. Yeah. Uh, not state. We actually lost a state senate seat, which is mm-hmm. um, not good. Um, but we we they did pick up um, probably I think six state house yeah. districts. Good. So the the exception here to that right what happened is Sherrod Brown. And Sherrod Brown was never in jeopardy though. He he was pretty handily reelected, right? Right. Um, and what's his secret? I think his secret is that he's genuine. I think that he, you know, and he's always sort of practiced what he's preached. Um, and he's somebody that appeals to the Trump Democrat, for lack of a better term, somebody that has always been that economic hard, populist hardcore, exactly message. on issues of trade. You know, he talks about you know the dignity of work. Um, and but you know, from a larger standpoint, you know, he's still um, very vociferous on you know, wall, holding Wall Street accountable, for example, being on Senate Finance. So you know, he's somebody that is always practicing, and he's so accessible. That's the other thing with with Sherrod is that he doesn't act like he's up here. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. he's out there. He's with the people. He's got great constituent services. Um, he's regular guy. Yeah, and he uh, was on uh, one of the Sunday shows yesterday, Peter, uh, and um, was asked the inevitable question. Here he, uh, at least, he doesn't give the standard political answer. We're seriously thinking about it. We're seriously talking about it uh, with family and friends and and political allies who who have come to me about this. So could he be the younger Bernie Sanders in 2020? I don't think he is Bernie Sanders, but I I mean, I think that he could be a great um, candidate for president because he can, I think, hold the Trump coalition because of the economic populist issues and at the same time connect with the quote unquote coastal elites for, you know, um, that that are going to, um, you know, that that he gets, you know, he cares about the environment. He cares about Wall Street, you know, being held accountable. Um, He cares about, you know, LGBT rights, all those things. So, you know, he's somebody that can hold the the entire sort of big tent of the Democrats. But you're saying he can also speak to. uh, Union guys, Michigan, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, that. That right. heartland, what, what Ohio. Is, exactly. Right? Well, yeah. what, what did the New York Times say? Perfectly, Pennsylvania. Perfectly disheveled. That's that's <laughs> that, that's Sherrod. I mean, he's just he's going to roll in there with his sleeves rolled up, and he's going to talk about you know he doesn't. Uh, I mean, I remember one of the first times I ever saw Sherrod. He was sitting at the edge of the stage. He was like doing. He was like he had. He was keynoting something. He wasn't behind the podium. He was literally sitting at the edge of the stage. Sitting on the stage. Yeah, at the edge of the stage. You're like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is what I'm talking about. Like, I love Sharon. <laughs> um, and and so you know, I mean, I think that the fact that he is being, he's never been serious about this before, and I think the fact that he is saying that he is serious about it now, um, people need to take notice for real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think that I love a, him. I think he's great. Yeah, uh, I, and I, you know he's been our, our guest many times, and not in a little while, so we got to get him back. But. Yeah, no, absolutely. I said right after Democrats lost in 2016 that they should look at Sherrod Brown yeah. to run for president. That was my immediate thought. Whether or not he's the right guy, I, I don't know. But like, look, there uh, is a void that needs to be filled by someone who is unapologetically progressive, and as you mentioned. Can speak to the heartland, right? Democrats and he's, ne- and he's real- never, but he's never hit it. And I think, like, I, yeah. I mean, I guess I see this from my perspective too, because look, you know, I have I'm unapologetically pro-choice. You know, I've supported LGBT rights. I mean, the the whole nine. But people don't see me as a progressive, I guess, because I talk more about the economic issues. I talk more about, you know. Uh, older adults, Medicare, Social Security, you know, uh, these kind of things, health care. And so while my voting record speaks for itself um, and I've never hid those things, I'm not weirdly like not mm-hmm. associated with them. And I think that Sherrod, at least at home, it's the same yeah. thing because they see, oh, well, Sherrod's office, they helped me with my Social Security disability. You know, they helped me get my veteran DD-214 back, like these kind of things. Yeah. Um, and that's why he's so effective. I'll tell you one thing. He would have been a better candidate for vice president than Tim Kaine. Uh, Amen. Uh, huh? And Amen. he was talked about at the time, and that would have been a great He was vetted. He was legit he was, vetted. He was vetted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know he would have been in those midwestern states, yep. and he could have, uh, I think, made a made a big. But difference he didn't there. speak Spanish. Uh, <laughs> also, that. I mean, I, not to be a clown, but I mean, I think that, I swear, like when you look at like the checklist of things, it's like I think that's what the. It's like yeah. I'm a white. He was a white guy from a swing state that spoke Spanish. I mean, that's that's. I feel like that's the checklist of Tim Kaine. And that's not to disparage him. I think that he's done an effective job. He just won re-election. But, you know, you know how things yeah. go with, like, yeah. VP picks. Like, yeah. they're they're trying to fill voids. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. And there always is a checklist, right? So, but uh, I think a mistake in that case. What is your take on when you look at the House coming in, the number of women? I mean, it's very exciting, particularly women of color. Absolutely. Right? Uh, who are going to be a real force to reckon with. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, everybody, of course, is putting all the attention to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Right. But she's just one of That's a right. whole With host of Mus- women. Muslim women, Latinas, yeah. uh, LGBT. I mean, it's it's a really diverse group of people. And the first, one of the ones that keeps Native Americans. Me. Yes, the first two Latinas ever elected from Texas. You would think Texas right. of all places, right? There would have been before now, but yeah. no, it's time. No, it's so great. It it's it really changes the composition, the face of the United States Congress. And no question, no question about it. I mean, I think that this is it's a very interesting thing because when you where you look at the places where Democrats picked up seats in places like Texas, Arizona. Nevada, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. I mean, yeah. but, you know, I mean, it's but it it is also showing the I think realignment of our population, yeah. you know, away from the industrial uh, industrial Midwest and to some of these other states in the Southwest and the Southeast, and um, you know, they're more diverse, they're younger, uh, you know, they're you know growing in a, a more educated population, and and that is going to ultimately impact. Um, 2022, not necessarily 2020, but 2022. Right. 
By the way, I was just thinking Utah. We the Democrats did pick up that seat in Utah, I, right? Did they? But that was Mia a, Love. Mia Love. She showed de- him no love. She is that's right. Lost her seat. Well, she didn't want the embrace. She didn't want the embrace. Right. Uh, but that was a white man, I think. Right? It was. I forgot the guy's name, but he declared victory. It was just before a break. I don't know if that's been officially officially called, but it like all the votes were in, and he was ahead. So. You know, take that for what you want. But it right. looks like she's lost that seat. Mm-hmm. Um, Wednesday is the big vote in the uh, Democratic caucus Ooh. in the House for the next Speaker of the House of mm-hmm. Representatives. Do you want to call it? Uh, I mean, who's running against Nancy Pelosi? Nobody yet. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, that that is, I think, the, the miscalculation here that, you know, I get the fact that, you know, people ran on new leadership um, I, you know that I love and respect my member of Congress, Tim Ryan, but he hasn't stepped forward. Uh, Marsha Fudge said she didn't want to do it. So, you know, you can't. I think the fact that they were unable to field a candidate just shows how effective Nancy Pelosi actually is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how weak the opposition really is. Yeah. So good to see you. You too. Thanks so much for coming in. How I may com- have to get one of those scarves now. Oh, uh, there you go. I'll uh, go online. How, how can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Honorable CSC, which is my initials. This you got so it. there you go. The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, get out your credit cards. It is Cyber Monday. And if you're not already online shopping, I mean, uh, well, wait until after the show, but then get to it. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you today on a Monday after Thanksgiving, Monday, November 26th. It is the Bill Press Show, and we are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., back together again after uh, a good long weekend, and I hope you made the very, very best of it, uh, surrounding yourself with uh, good friends and good family and good food and good football and all the rest, and maybe even squeezed in a little time for shopping. Uh, and uh, But now that's behind us, and we're ready to uh, jump into already started the new week with all the news of the day, catching up on a lot of stuff that happened over the Thanksgiving weekend, which we've done, whether it was the uh, president's uh, disastrous phone, pardon me, phone call to the troops and down at Mar-a-Lago, uh, his little spat with the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court over the weekend as well. More troubles at the border, a lot of it instigated by Donald Trump, and now we have American troops firing, or American Um, law enforcement officials firing tear gas canisters across the border at women and children. Uh, And Donald Trump standing by 
uh, MBS, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, even though the CIA says, yes, he did order the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. So much to talk about. That's why it's good to have you with us. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, as you mentioned, it is, in fact, Cyber Monday. So Forbes did a little rundown of the best deals that you can get today. Let's start with Amazon. Uh, Lots Uh of different deals on Amazon products. You can get the all-new Echo Dot for $24 Mm. is all that costs. This is the Alexa. It's the smaller version that you can put in, in... Different mm-hmm. places around the house. 24 bucks mm. for that. You can also get the Echo Dot Kids Edition for $49. Several other deals on their Fire TV, Fire TV Cube, What's things like Kids that. Kids Edition, what are they? Uh, so it's you're able to put games and stuff on it. Plus, you can. It also it's easier to filter out uh, some of the content uh, that you don't want kids to take in, right? Uh, also, uh, Walmart, Forbes is calling this probably the deal of the year. If you want a PlayStation 4 gaming system plus a copy of the big new game Red Dead Redemption 2, $199 is all it's going to cost you. They are saying that is the best deal of the uh, of the year. Walmart also has some deals on TVs, some what other is that? gaming what systems. Is that again? I'm just jotting that down. I might. So it's Walmart. Uh, yeah. They are selling a PlayStation 4 oh, with uh-huh. a copy of Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a, yeah. apparently a hot new video game. Uh, mm. So check that out. Check that out. Those are just some of the deals. Again, Forbes has a whole list of all the different uh, Cyber Monday deals and which ones are the best. So let's move on to Montgomery County right here in the Washington, D.C. area. So let's say you have a student who wants to go and protest, but it's during school hours. Well, now Montgomery County School Board, they are expected to approve a proposal as early as January that will allow students to get three excused absences per school year if they are going to participate in protests and other forms of civic engagement during the school day. Now, this was sort of born out of the uh, gun violence protests that happened earlier this year where a lot of students were just walking out of school. And there was the question among teachers, what do we do with those students? Do we punish them? Do they get an Uh unexcused absence? Well, Montgomery County, right here in the Washington, D.C. area, says you get three. You get three excused, excuse me, excused absences if you go protest. I like that. I do, too. Yeah. I have two kids in the Montgomery County uh, school system, <laughs> and right. I have a feeling that they're going to need those three unexcused abs- or three excused absences. I'm not sure three is enough, and then you yeah, have right. to kind of save them up because you don't right. know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But- Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Yeah, we have a lot to be thankful for, right? What is Donald Trump thankful for? He says, I'm thankful for me. I'm thankful because I'm such a great president, and I've made such a great difference in this country, thanks to President T. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know about you. I'll be thankful when he's no longer there. Sooner the better. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a Monday, Monday, November 26th. 
the Monday after Thanksgiving, uh, although the shopping madness continues because today, of course, is Cyber Monday and expected $7.7 billion to be uh, spent online today. Uh, so if you're not already at it, you'll be there maybe before the end of the day. But thanks for starting out the day here to catch up with the news of the day here on The Bill Press Show. As we come to you live coast to coast online on youtube.com slash the bill press show also on twitter uh, i'm sorry on <laughs> television on free speech tv uh and on the radio out in the greater uh, chicago area on wcpt here on the bill press show uh, thank you again for joining us and uh, we welcome to the program uh, back to the program and in studio here uh, a good friend of ours from the um, AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees, who's head of the local 3331, who are the EPA employees, uh, Mr. Nat James. Hey, Nat, good to see you. Yes, Step yes. up here to the microphone. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. You had a good Thanksgiving? I did. All right. All right. Good. Uh, and b by the way, we've got lots to talk about, but one of the things we haven't mentioned, there are two important events that are going to happen today. Um, one of them, Peter, I know you've been feeling sorry for George Papadopoulos. I know, just so bad. Yeah. He was, as we recall, sentenced for two weeks, spent two weeks in federal prison by the uh, judge in the Robert, after the uh, he was indicted part of the Robert Mueller investigation. And he's been delaying it and delaying it and asking the judge if he could continue to put it off until after the final Robert Mueller report comes out. Uh, and, uh, Two days ago, the judge said, nope, you can't put it off any longer. you got to serve your time starting today. So Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> they let him out for Thanksgiving. Well, he got to have Thanksgiving, and then right yeah. afterwards, they, they sent him away. Yeah, Yeah. so he's got two weeks, so he'll be reporting and serving serving his time. He'll be out in time to put his Christmas tree up, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the other thing that's happening today, uh, Nate, I find this very exciting, um, that at 3 o'clock this afternoon— this robotic kind of, uh, I don't know, this NASA vehicle is going to land on Mars. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's been there. It's been on its way for, what do they call it, a robotic geologist. They're calling. It's, going to, it's been on its way for six months, and it actually um, penetrates the surface about 12 minutes, the atmosphere about 12 minutes before it takes 12 minutes to actually land right on Mars where it's supposed to land at 3 p.m. And this is going to be, um, uh, it, 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 uh, unlike the the one on that that moves around, right, this is going to stay in place uh, and conduct all kinds of tests there and send back a lot of information from the red planet. It's going to be very exciting if it works. <laughs> Scientists are going to be biting their nails here at 3 o'clock this afternoon. By the way, did you see that Elon Musk yesterday said he expects to go to Mars in seven years? Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that's a one-way ticket. His board might just buy him a one-way ticket. Yeah, seriously, just send him. <laughs> send him. But uh, if that will be a huge uh, triumph for American scientists if that uh, if that works out today. Meanwhile, one of the, one of the things Nate that kind of got lost over the weekend, one of the biggest. Uh, news items was a report released uh, Friday afternoon, the day after Thanksgiving, when 
If you really want to bury something, that's mm -hmm. kind of when you release it. A report on climate change by 13 federal agencies, including, I would imagine, some of the scientists at EPA. What did they tell us? I would believe they told you that the uh, climate change is real and that's going to have an impact on uh, life here on Earth, if, if you will. It's not yeah. just a, a national issue. It's a global issue. Right. You know, I, I, well, not talking about Mars. We're talking about right. this <laughs> planet right here. Yeah. Right. I was I was sort of fascinated that the Trump administration still allows this type of information to get out, right? Like a, a government issued report saying that climate change is undeniable and we're about to start feeling some very severe impacts from it. We're going to feel the wrath of climate change and that somehow Donald Trump did not kill that report from coming out at all. It's sort of Heartening in some ways to know that, that, that the work continues, even though we know he's a climate change denier and all of that. Yeah. Uh, did, were there attempts to uh, – did, did, what do you hear from your, your members there at EPA? Were there attempts to keep this report secret? I haven't heard much on that, but I don't hear much on climate change You have to stay close to the roof, Because, Mike, uh, please. as we know, that, that area in EPA has been drastically reduced as far as uh, manpower, so – a large portion of our climate change people have been kind of let go. Right. So I don't hear much of anything. Well, this, I mean, so this report said, I mean, that uh, like the U.N. report said back in the spring that, yes, climate change is real. Yes, it's already happening. Yes, it's going to have disastrous impacts on the economy. It said that the, that 10 percent of the American economy will just be wiped out by mm -hmm. climate change. Uh, by the end of the century, and that we got to do something about it. And as Peter is right, it's 13 federal agencies, including the EPA, uh, and yet that report was released. I think the, I think the reason they released it is it would have gotten out anyway. It was going to come out. That's right. Right. You know, with that many agencies involved, somebody's going to leak that report if the White House didn't. So the White House chose instead of burying it. They chose to release it at the worst possible time in terms of getting a news impact mm -hmm. and also then do nothing about it, right? I mean, you know they're not going to. That's the goal, yeah. They're mm -hmm. not going to take these recommendations and say, okay, here's our marching plan, right? They're just going to ignore it, right? which, which, they've, which they've done before. Uh, what is the situation uh, uh, since the last time we've talked about EPA? You've got Mr. Wheeler over there in charge right now, which uh, – uh, any change between his uh, rule and uh, and uh, the way things were under Scott Pruitt? On a positive note, it's been less uh, scandal in the in the uh, news about <coughs> the EPA and yeah. that, that kind of thing. But uh, right, we we, right, we haven't heard of um, his using his massive security squad to get to get him over to uh, Le Diplomat for lunch or anything like that. That's or, right. Or chase what was that body lotion he was chasing around that oh right the special the, lotion that they only sell at the Ritz Carlton right, or something right, right. like that or the flights that he was taking you know the money he was spending on profit so yeah, we don't hear so much of that anymore so the scandals right but in terms of the direction of EPA any change not that I would notice and not that I would say that I could really favor like we're saying climate change that's a big issue. The agencies, I think, views on that has not changed. So we're still going down the uh, road of uh, 
doing things that may not be so good for the planet? The number one um, maybe move at EPA under President Obama was the clean power plan. What's the latest on that? That's been being all those types of uh, plans have been rolled back, if you would. Now, I don't know what that entails, how drastic it will be, but to to do things that we knew were going to be good for the environment, we've kind of put the brakes on some of those things. Uh, how do the people at who your your members uh, so, at AFGE? I mean, how do they feel? This is their life's work. These are scientists, right? These are people who've dedicated themselves. They're working at EPA, I would imagine. It's just not another job because they really do believe in protecting the environment. And they now, do. Now they're parts of, part of administration, which is certainly the most anti-environmental in modern time. And with truth told, I'd have to say you got to remember there's two unions at EPA headquarters, NTEU, which covers the scientists, and then I cover more specialist administrative type folks. Okay. So we don't hear a lot from the, the scientific side. And overall, the employee base is not really willing to speak out on those kind of issues for fear of what, you know, some retaliation may take place. For fear they could lose their jobs. That's correct. Yeah. But do you feel that the reputation of EPA has suffered? I would hope not. The employees at EPA are dedicated to the mission. We have to follow the orders that are put out by uh the leadership, but at the same time, there are a number of folks that, that do speak out on occasion, and that's why you're having some of the struggles that we're seeing happen in the White House with trying to roll back. We're, we're seeing some pushback. People are being a little bit more vocal about what's going on with climate, uh, with some of the regulations that take place in the agency. And because of those voices, uh, a base has been built where people push back on the administration that employees cannot do. Right. Uh, is Andrew Wheeler any more of a um, pro-environment than Scott Pruitt, or is he just um, more low-key about it? I've not spent a lot of time with Mr. Wheeler, but uh, well, well, I get a feel for it. You're part of the agency. You can yeah. see what, what he's doing. Well, if you go by what's being done, maybe it's kinder, gentler, but it's still going down the same road. So I don't care that we we, we applied the brake or, or slowed down, if you will. We're still heading in that direction where it can have a negative impact on lives. Right. But, you know, there's an interesting thing happening with Wheeler, too, in that he was not confirmed. Uh, mm-hmm. He was just sort of appointed. And last month... Has he been confirmed since? He has not. Uh, as of last month, the EPA sort of signaled that he could stay in place until 2020 without any sort of confirmation. Now, this is sort of a trend that we're saying, like when you look at uh, the acting attorney general, right? The Senate did not get a chance to advise and consent on whether or not he would be appropriate and didn't get a chance to confirm him, and they just sort of said he's the new guy. It's kind of what happened here at EPA, too. They just sort of announced he's going to be the new guy in charge, but there's no confirmation. It doesn't appear as though there's going to be any confirmation. I, Scott Pruitt was confirmed. Sure, Scott he? Pruitt was. Yeah, Scott right. Pruitt was, and everybody else who was originally put into place, they were all confirmed. But once they left, and there've been a lot yeah, of them that have right. had to leave for various different scandals. Uh, not all of them. Not the, the replacements haven't been confirmed in every case. You know, they just sort of get announced. 
Well, but, uh, but that's an excellent point, and I would imagine that that point has not, that, that fact has not escaped the attention of um, Elijah Cummings, maybe, Congressman Elijah Cummings, yeah. or other members of the House. Uh, he'd have to be confirmed by the Senate, but the House could certainly stir things up and hold a hearing to look into why we have people who haven't been confirmed in jobs where they should be in order to hold that position. Yeah. Including, I mean, look, you look at this climate change report. Sorry, with Matt Whitaker. Yeah, Matt Whitaker is the first one on the list. But, I mean, you look at this climate change report and you look at how serious they say things are going to be in a very, very short period here. Like, we're coming up on some very serious problems. You'd like to think that the person in charge of the EPA has the full confidence of the United States Senate, right? And that person does not. They were not confirmed. Mm -hmm. Right. At least we don't know that they do. Yeah. And he no, right. And he was a former coal lobbyist, Andrew Wheeler. So uh, and you, you and sort of know where his interests lie. Uh, and by the way, right. Yeah. Uh, very interesting piece in the New York Times yesterday about uh, about coal. I mean, coal is a dying form of energy, isn't it? I thought it was dead. Well, we all did. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that last ember just won't burn out. <laughs> uh, said he's going to bring back the coal industry and bring back the coal mines and get the coal miners back to work. I mean, the the reality is it's not going to happen. I don't see it. Just in, just in terms of with natural gas and with renewable energy. And we're, it seems like everybody's going in a different direction with, green, you know, the green effort. You know, you're trying to get wind, you're trying to get solar, those types of things. Those are, I would hope, going to be improvements. They're going to be less damaging on the, uh, damaging on the environment, and unfortunately, cold uh, has seen its day. Right, right. Um, in terms, what what kind of um, you mentioned? I, I was interested that you said that uh, some of the employee, the, the your employees, um, they may not like the direction of the that the department is going under Donald Trump, but they can't really. Some of them feel that they can't stand up and speak out because of the consequences. It's more than a feeling. It, you know, we don't realize that the federal government is sort of like your civilian force, as, as in the armed forces. We don't fight wars, but we fight against the things that can attack the, the public, like environment, uh, uh, you know, your roads, all those things that, that everyday people use. So when we're in our positions as, as federal employees— there's a line you can't cross. There, there's, there's some freedom of speech that you lose. You can't go out and, and openly uh, push against some of these regulations that are, are in place as a federal employee. You can't do that. So that's why a lot of federal employees are not as vocal as you might think they would be in these instances because they can't speak up as, as readily because they do fear and, and there's a real possibility that they could lose their job. They could. That's what I was getting to. They could actually be fired. They could lose their job. That's correct. Can they be fired just because they disagree with something that the director has done or uh, I guess publicly disagree, publicly disagree, not just privately? There's a thin line there. As a federal employee, you, you, you shouldn't be fired because you disagree, but you go ahead and carry out your orders. But, you know, I'm seeing it you now. It seems to be at the very top of this administration. If you say anything I don't like, you, 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 you're out. You could lose your job. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it is at EPA, 
But that fear is there. It's been built. That that's the that's the culture, the climate we're in right now. Well, I think the fear is based on what we've seen they, happen exactly from the Trump White House with other people. Everybody's you know, starring on the apprentice and you could be fired at any time. Right. Yeah. There there is a long list of that's people. Right. Yeah. Uh, fired because they publicly disagree with Donald Trump. Uh, if you don't believe that, ask Jeff Sessions, by the way. By the way, did you see, Peter, that, I don't know, I mentioned Jeff Sessions. You know, he, they're talking about running him again for Senate You know, in Alabama. I don't think that would be the worst idea for him, right? Like, it would be a bad idea for Alabama. Right. But and he could country. win. In, in the, the country. country, in the country. But he I'm not sure win. he could win again. You don't I, think so? I wonder. Uh, I feel pretty certain he could win. Uh, I just, I, I just, you know, I, what, what would they, what, what is it that would keep him from getting elected this time? Uh, just that he's older and been around, and well, it, it would certainly be interesting to see what Donald Trump did. Yeah, if, no, I mean, what Donald Trump would do if he were on the ballot. It would be an interesting test, but I just yeah. think, you know, I don't think Alabama has, I think they still love him. Um, I want to ask you about racism at the, at the EPA, but um, getting into that, uh, there's a very, very important uh, runoff in Mississippi hmm. tomorrow with um, Mike Espy, the, the Democrat, uh, and the Incumbent senator who was appointed, now she's got to run, Cindy Hyde-Smith. Boy, the stuff that has come out about Cindy Hyde-Smith. Oh, my God. I mean, first of all, of course, famously she said to one of our supporters, you can invite me to a public hanging, you know, and I'd be there. It's also now come out reported by the newspapers in Mississippi that she attended a white segregated academy. Academy was set up specifically to avoid having to send by by parents who did not want to send their kids to integrated public schools. She also sent her, or it's a private school, sent her daughter to that same thing. It's called an all-white segregated academy. When she was a state senator, she uh, introduced a resolution praising Confederate soldiers as defending their homeland. That's what the Civil War was all about. Uh, passed another resolution honoring this 92-year-old um, woman who she's called the last, the last real daughter of the Confederacy. There's a picture of her on her website of her wearing a Confederate cap. Um, it's so bad that some of the corporations, including Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. have asked for their money back. First of all, yeah, why they did Major had, League Baseball even give her money to begin yeah, with? Exactly, yeah. And several, Walmart and a lot of big corporations. She's an incumbent senator, so that's you know they they have these fundraisers in Washington every night, all of them. And um, but a lot of these corporations giving her money, and they said no. We didn't realize you were such a racist. You want your money back. I and mean, that, to me, that kind of speaks to it. I want to twist it around. I don't put it on the candidate. If you're a racist and you run for office, you you're more than free to do that. It says more about us. Who do we vote for? If we find out that you are indeed a racist or someone that that's un, that has no scruples, no morals, and we support you, that's on us. 
it, it's not so much on the candidate. We know who the candidate is. We shouldn't even have to debate that anymore. Right. Well, you're, I, I think we didn't know who this candidate but is. Once but that it, information but was once made that available. information has come out. And now the test is really on the people of Mississippi. Do you is, eat it or do you say, no, I can't, is that I can't some, stomach that? Right. Is that somebody who, who that they really want to this day and age, you know, in the 21st century, representing your state in, with that background? Uh, but, by the way, speaking about Jeff Sessions, as a man— but who was rejected for the federal judgeship by the United States Republican-controlled Senate mm-hmm. because he was he had such a racist background. Uh, do you what do you see any signs of this at EPA? Definitely within the last in the federal workforce in the federal workforce right here at EPA headquarters, we've had a number of as as that I'm aware of as many as six within the uh, uh, 2018. So it, it, what do you mean? Six what? Six events where someone has either put hate language on a uh, on a board, or where they left um, racial attacks against African Americans on employees' desks. Uh, it's been reported, but no meaningful action has been taken to to address the issue until most recently here. Most recently being uh, September, October, November. We had an incident where the latest was, I believe, last Friday, where uh, someone took it upon themselves to write racial comments across a whiteboard where it was in a public area where employees could view that. Really? Definitely. That's correct. Good Lord. In the department, right? Right there in the headquarters. Yeah. Um, And uh, so was any – what do you do when something like that happens? Is there a – um, an office in charge that you report to? Is you have to go to the director himself, or? Well, the first thing that I did when I was made aware of it was first of all reach out to the employees to try to get the facts on what actually took place. Sure. They sent pictures. They they of what was on the board. So we we took those pictures. We we being NTEU and AFGE, the two unions at the headquarters, we Im- immediately drafted a joint letter, sent it to the administrator, making him aware of what had happened and made it clear that this was not an isolated incident, and we were uh, hopeful that he would send out a communication speaking against that type of behavior, as well as take steps to both train up uh, agency leaders on how to handle those situations when they occur and put uh, points in place where employees could feel safe in that type Is of there, environment. Uh, do you know who... Uh, was responsible for these? Who we do put not that, do not. We do not. And none in, of in none of the six. None. Well, none of the six. No, we're not. We don't know who actually wrote the uh, the 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 disparaging remarks. Do you think it was the same person? I have no idea. Was it the same part? In of- one office, I would assume that it might be a, a, an individual doing this. But when you have the, the 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 number of incidents that it's been a number of folks that have have some point in time felt uh, whatever the way they felt emotionally that they needed to do something like that to uh, voice themselves. What is the percentage of African-American employees? At the, I'd like to believe it was somewhere around maybe in the 20, 30 percent. Is this uh, race, racism like this rampant in other federal agencies? Have you heard, you know, you you're, you're, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to really have to speak to it if we're going to talk about racism. Racism is, is more broad than the federal government. It's, the, it's America. Uh, 
the 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 positive side is I'm convinced through our history there are more people that don't believe in that type of behavior than there are that do. Unfortunately, in this climate, the people that do feel uh, that are racist, this is their time. That's that's what I hear a lot. It's their time. Uh, everything is saying it's time we can speak out. We can we can assault people. We we can say disparaging things. We can we anybody we hate. We can just act out on that now. So we can. We don't need the hoods anymore. We can we can just do things openly. But now America is starting to speak a bit more to that, and we're seeing it being pushed back. So is it does it exist in the federal government? Yes, it does. Does it exist at EPA? Yes, it does. But it's not the accepted behavior. Now, leadership has a big role in what we do about it. When we say, hey, what do we do? We know what to do. It's not the first time that something like this has happened. It's just a matter of do we really do what we're supposed to do? Do we not tolerate racism or do we? Right. And at this point, I'd have to say our actions don't quite match up to the words. We say we don't tolerate it, but we're tolerating it. Well, the test now is on the leadership of EPA to do something about these six incidents that you point out just in this year alone. Just this year alone. Uh, in 2018, right? Correct. And so you've asked for that. You've asked for that action from the administrator, Certainly. Andrew Wheeler. Definitely did. And you haven't heard anything yet. Uh, we we we. It went down this road. When we first brought it to uh, Administrator Wheeler's attention, we were hopeful that he would address it directly. Right. It was uh, delegated to the uh, chief of staff. And then the incidents continued to to take place. And after those following it, uh, incidents, then Mr. Wheeler sent out a, a stronger communication. He sent it out directly. So that was encouraging to see. But the question was, why did we have to go through that progression? Right. And why weren't we more readily willing to, to why wasn't he more uh, willing to step up initially and just say, hey, no, this is not who we are and this is not the behavior. But right at this point in time, the uh, Officer of Inspector General is involved. It's being investigated, and they're and they're looking into it to see. The, so the Inspector General of the EPA is now looking into this. That's correct. All right, keep us up to date on it. Okay, we'll do. Yeah, uh, disturbing but not surprising that not, it would happen uh, anywhere, even at the EPA. Uh, now the question is, will the leadership stand up and take the appropriate action? And hopefully the answer to that is yes. Uh, Nate James from AFGE 133331. It's AFGE.org. Thanks so much for coming in, Nate. And Thank you. Thanks again to all the good men and women of the AFGE and President J. David Cox for their support of our program. When we come back, Nielsen Lisanuski from Roll Call joining us uh, with all the latest on what we can expect from this new, exciting Congress. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is on a Monday, November 26. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital in our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. On a big Cyber Monday. And uh, boy, it's going to be a very, very busy day. You're looking for all kinds of special treats, special bargains. I'm wearing one. Take a look at this. Hand-woven scarf. Uh, you won't find anything as beautiful as this anywhere online unless you go to uh, BillPressShow.com and then link on the Carol Press Scarves uh, and take a look at all the uh, 
many different colors, beautiful colors and designs available for these hand-woven scarves. Yeah, this is manufactured. There are not thousands and thousands of these. Each one is hand-woven uh, in our studio right here on Capitol Hill by my wife, Carol. Uh, I love this beautiful black and white. This is a rayon chenille. They also come in bamboo. Lots of colors, again, and designs to choose from. And you can do it online on this Cyber Monday. So go to BillPressShow.com, click on the Proud Carol Press Scarves, uh, and get uh, yourself. Come on, it's winter. You need something really warm to keep you warm and beautiful to make your friends envious. Uh, can't do better than a Carol Press Scarf. Check it out, Cyber Monday. That's your job today. And now we... Uh, Lots to catch up on with Congress coming back. They've got about maybe two, a little over two weeks left uh, in uh, 2018. Can we expect them to get anything done? What's the new leadership going to look, look like? Niels Lesniewski covers the Senate for roll call and joins us in studio. Niels, good to see you. Always good to be here. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, we start with, let's see, so um, Wednesday, big vote. Yes. I know you cover the Senate, but no, you know, but can't I, I can this. I can I can go to the other side of the building when yeah, I need to. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, big vote in the Democratic caucus on Wednesday. Is there any doubt uh, that Nancy Pelosi has the votes in the caucus? In the caucus, there's no doubt uh, because uh, you you really would only need a majority of the uh, Democrats in the House and the Democrats who have been elected to be in the House uh, starting next year. Uh, so, so really, uh, Wednesday's vote is somewhat perfunctory, uh, with the exception of it gets interesting if she actually were to get 218 votes on Wednesday, which seems to be the direction that we're moving towards. If you get 218 votes, you have a majority of the whole House, uh, and then there would be no suspense at all for, for, for pundits and everyone heading into January 3rd. <laughs> January 3rd is when they vote on the floor. Yes. Uh, and I know that um, uh, Leader Pelosi sent out a letter over the weekend saying she that pleading for, asking for unity, suggesting unity on the floor, meaning that whoever wins in a caucus, every Democrat should vote for on the floor. That's, that's right. But some people have pledged not to vote for her, period. Right. And so now what we're in is we're in the phase where we have to figure out how many of these people, either who signed a, a letter about a week ago now saying that they needed new leadership in the House Democratic Caucus and the people who had made campaign promises saying, I, I don't support Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is the worst and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, some of which was probably, you know, election year politicking. It's no. always always nice to be no. to be away from Washington and 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 right. say whatever you want to say about Nancy Pelosi, positive or negative. She is a Washington insider. I don't think anyone's really going to dispute the uh, right, yeah, the fact that that's true. And so some of this is uh, how small of a prize or how small of a present do you need to receive to a. Uh, Reconsider your position that you're opposing Nancy Pelosi. Right. Well, uh, just for the record, and if any of those of you listening and watching who uh, saw my column uh, last week, I'm a big Nancy Pelosi supporter. Um, 
not that I'm against new leadership in the House, but Nancy's, I think, the right person at this time to lead the House in the new Congress with the experience that she has and the fact that she delivered. I mean, Democrats won, won back the House largely because of Nancy Pelosi's campaigning and fundraising. It, it would be extraordinarily odd to cast aside uh, someone who ultimately, because it did become a wave, Remember some of this when we were starting this conversation and when this was this conversation was starting election night before any of those California races were decided and fell basically all in the Democrats favor. Uh, So some of this was it looked like we were sitting at a narrow, narrow Democratic majority in the House when people started talking about whether or not to throw Pelosi overboard. Now, I mean, it's upper 30s to around 40 seats. So we're kind of in a, I feel like we're in a bit of a different ballgame than when this conversation started. Uh, Including, by the way, California, where all seven seats in Orange County, Reagan country, Trump country, John Wayne country, all seven of them are now blue, all seven. So that with 53 seats in California, former, I speak as former California Democratic chair, 53 seats in Congress, 45 of them now are Democratic seats, eight Republicans. You could almost make the argument that it's amazing that Kevin, it should be, it's all, you could almost make the argument that it's more surprising that Kevin McCarthy didn't have more opposition for minority leader, given that he would supposedly be the leader of the, the California Republicans in the House, and they're basically wiped out. There basically is, is no California Republican Party uh, these days. Uh, one thing that uh, I've heard, uh, the escape hatch for these members who um, may not feel comfortable voting for it because of the pledge that they made, foolishly or not, in their campaign. And by the way, I've got to say, I thought one of the uh, uh, classiest acts that um, on the part of Nancy Pelosi was a couple of these candidates called her and said, look, I just want you to know I've got to say, I feel in my district, I've got to say I'm not going to support you for speaker. And Nancy's response was, look, just win. Right. Don't don't worry about it. Just win, right? Which is the right thing to say, right? And good for her. Anyhow, the escape clause is because January 3rd, when they elect a new speaker, everybody has to stand up, as Senator uh, Congressman Dan Kildee explained to us a week or so ago here, sitting right where you are today, that everybody has to stand up and give a name. Yes. They don't, there's not a ballot, right? They stand up in front of the world and have to say a name. So those Democrats are not going to say McCarthy. And if they feel they can't say Pelosi because of that pledge, they could say Bill Press, right, or Peter Ogburn. Somebody living has to be right. living. Y- yes. Um, you know. John Col- Lewis frequently gets one or two votes. Does he? Yes. Colin Powell or whatever. Doesn't even have to be a member of the House. Or they could say present. And that's and that I'm sure that is exactly the 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 perhaps the answer to the puzzle because you right. have 
uh, if you vote present, you bring down the total number of the House for the right. purposes of the vote. Right. And you right. could have, it wouldn't take a lot of people, maybe a handful or a few more than that, saying that they are voting present uh, among the Democrats uh, to bring the threshold down to something like 215 or so yeah. That, yeah. that Pelosi yeah. could yeah. win. Right. So everybody who votes present reduces the number you need to win. Right. And so yes. that that could be the escape patch at any rate. Ba- bottom line is, as I said in my column and so many other people have said, too, um, you can't beat somebody with nobody. And the 16 people who signed the letter still don't have a candidate. They thought they had one in Marsha Fudge. And then she made a deal <laughs> with Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> you know, I think you and I, I, I said this last week, I think you and I fall on, on, on a similar line. I think Nancy Pelosi should absolutely be Speaker of the House, but I have no problem with anybody challenging her yeah. at all. I guess that makes me a centrist. <laughs> but, like, again, you can't beat her with nobody, so who's going to step up, if anyone? Yeah. But it does speak also to um, this This is a, a different House and a different Congress than we've ever seen before, isn't it? Oh, I mean, Oh, for sure. And I mean, the other thing, which I, I'm sure that uh, some folks in your audience, probably the part that this is something they won't necessarily be too enthusiastic about. But I mean, Pelosi now is meeting with the the sort of no labels problem solvers, quote unquote, contingent uh, to try and figure out whether or not she can win any votes back from them. Uh, by making some sort of incremental uh, rules changes or backing any sort of incremental rules changes. What's going to be fascinating to see over the next you know, year, we'll probably see it play out, is who is the Freedom Caucus? Who is the Democratic version of mm-hmm. the people who caused the Speaker of the House so many headaches that John Boehner just quits? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether it's the left or if it's the centrists or if it's some sort of regional issue or something. I don't know who that group is, but someone will. Well, it's amazing to be the um, the attention that's been given to uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as if she's the only new woman who elected to Congress. In fact, there are like 100 of them. Right. But she seems to get most of the media attention. Um. And her very first day in the Congress, she led a sit-in in in Leader Pelosi's office. Uh, You know, so this idea that some people get there and they keep their head down, you know, for a year or so just because they no, no, she shattered that uh, that that concept or tradition. But is that is that kind of what we're going to see from this freshman class? You know, I I really think that's probably going to be a, a lot of it. You know, I don't know whom they're going exactly. to not be playing by the rules. In other words, well, and and what happens when you know who do you even put on the appropriations committee? You know, you have these like the old school sort of things that you would want to do if you're a freshman to make nice with leadership and to be a team player so that you can earn yourself a yeah. better committee right. assignment and right. all that sort yeah. of stuff. Um. I don't know who is going to play that. I, it might be more interesting to see who 
sounded like a rabble rouser on the campaign trail who actually decides to play that game. That might actually be more interesting than the people who are um, are uh, not playing that game because that that could be a a bit of a surprise uh, as well. Who are the new members of the Senate that you are most curious about or interested in watching? Well, so for one, because we know her from one one who I'm actually really fascinated by, uh, because we know her from her persona from the House is is the Republican Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. Yeah, uh, because she is such a uh, she has been such a, a sort of political partisan in the House. Uh, and she's but she's replacing Bob Corker in the Senate, you know, a Republican, but not exactly an always uh, Trump Republican. And so the question, I think, is going to be is whether or not any of these these House members who are coming to the Senate uh, sort of become more senatorial in their yeah. Uh, new, yeah. new lives. The other one, obviously, uh, on the Republican, the other one, obviously, on the Republican side, who will probably be the most interesting is Mitt Romney. Oh, yeah. Senator yes. Mitt Romney of Utah, <laughs> which I have no idea how whether or not Senator Romney of Utah is presidential candidate Romney or whether it's Governor Romney of Massachusetts or where exactly that will fall. He'll fall on the uh or the whether pendulum. he becomes the uh, one member, the Republican member of the Senate, who's willing to stand up and challenge Donald Trump. Not I'm ta- not talking about running against him, but just criticize Donald Trump and disagree with Donald Trump, whereas nobody else is willing to do so. It seems like we need a Jeff Flake replacement. There's someone with Flake retiring in Arizona. And, and now, Corker. And Corker. And the, so that contingent largely going away... Uh, that that is probably going to be the most interesting thing to watch is to see if it's Romney or if anyone else uh, emerges in that uh, vein. Right. Now, um, one Senate seat yet to be decided will be decided tomorrow in Mississippi. Yes. Donald Trump is going down there tonight uh, to try to stem the tide and save the day for Cindy Hyde-Smith, who was considered to be a shoo-in a week ago. Uh, with Mike Espy, the Democratic challenger, uh, managed to get in the runoff because there were so many candidates. But now everybody thought this was a slam dunk for her. Um, now, not not so much. Well, so now I wonder, and given all of the um, God, beyond was... racially charged statements of, of Hyde Smith and her background in this, I think it was the Washington Post, there had been a report about the school that she attended? Yeah, actually, it was in the Washington Post, but it was originally reported by the Mississippi, whatever the big biggest paper in Mississippi is. Yeah, it was an all-white segregated academy created by parents who wanted to not have to follow Brown v. Board of Education and send their kids to an integrated school. She was sent there, graduated from there. She sent her daughter to the same school. Yeah, I mean, so out and out, plus there are pictures of her wearing the Confederate garb on her website. I mean, so I w- she's Jeff Sessions all over So again. I wonder if uh, people stay home. Not necessarily that, that hmm. the uh, Democratic vote is driven, not even necessarily that the Democratic vote is uh, driven up, mm-hmm. Um, mm. but it is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving 
Uh, Trump will obviously be going down there trying to drive out his base. Uh, but the question, I, I wonder, I wonder if people just decide I got a better thing to do tomorrow than than bother to go to the local elementary school or fire station or whatever it is. Yeah, I can't bring myself to vote for a Democrat, but um, I'm not going to go out and vote for her. You know, one of the things that I thought was really which interesting would, with which the could change change the outcome with the with with the midterm elections. I thought this was really fascinating because enthusiasm for Democrats was just. Over the top, right? So high, highest we've seen in a very, very, very long time. But enthusiasm for conservative voters was also pretty high. Thanks to Trump. Thanks to Trump. And so I wonder if Republicans will hold on to it now. Right. That we're just about a, a three weeks, I guess, or almost a month since since the midterms. So certainly, if anything uh has would stir up the democratic base you would think the things that have come out in the last few days would do so right um and um again you Donald Trump's going down I think he's holding two rallies tonight yes it's, it's, it's a sort yeah. of back to back uh rally all the second the one is 9 all for the purpose PM of getting his people out to vote tomorrow he's doing a 9:30 p.m rally uh yes, I think there's central time, so it might be eight thirty locally, but it's it's late. Right. Um are we gonna see a government shutdown? Well, I don't know if the tear gas helped matters. Donald Trump You mean over the weekend? Yes. Yeah. How so? Well, because I don't know if it I don't know what the reaction from the Democrats who have to provide votes for a remember we still have Republican majorities for the rest of the year, but there's no way to get a a spending package through with just Republican votes. It just doesn't happen. Uh, so the question is going to be whether or not the standoff point uh, and how much wall money for the you know the U.S. Mexico border project that uh, Trump wants, how much of that the Democrats are willing to give on and whether the events of the last, say, 72 hours have changed the thoughts of the likes of Chuck Schumer in terms of uh, what they're dealing with, with the the uh, caravan and, and so on, and whether or not he they become less willing to give lots of money to people who seem to be authorizing the use of force at the border and the like. Right. Um, either sending troops or telling the border patrol fire fire the tear gas canisters, right? Yeah, and so I I don't I don't yet I don't yet have a good read on how exactly the Democrats are going to respond to this, but 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 sort of the ball may be in their court, and it may be it may have gone up. The risk of a shutdown may have prob may I my guess is went up slightly, uh, given what happened over the weekend. There were two Republicans who I think Rob Johnson from uh, Wisconsin was one of them who suggested over the weekend, Trey Gowdy was the other, uh, who's leaving, who suggested that it would be, there should be oversight hearings on Ivanka Trump's use of her private email server for government business. <laughs> Deja vu all over again, huh? Well, but does that indicate that there may be, you know, some willingness on the part of Republicans coming into 2020 to break with Donald Trump, where they've been totally supportive for the last two years? 
if I'm thinking about this from from the the perspective of the Senate map, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this okay. in the cynical political oh, uh, direction. Yes. Yeah, well, that's which reality. is <laughs> the 2020 uh, Senate map. The seats that are up in 2020 are very favorable to Democrats. Unlike it's the mirror image of what we just saw. Right. So. Uh, creating separation from President Trump uh, may become more important to people who are uh, Republicans, particularly in the U.S. Senate. And so it wouldn't surprise me if there are uh, more uh, opportunities taken when things like uh, Ivanka Trump using the wrong email address um, and perhaps uh, violating the federal records uh, paperwork laws uh, it seems to me there's an opportunity for, for Republicans to create a little bit of separation without actually doing any policy uh, mm-hmm. separating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep confirming the judges, keep going along and right. following the Republican Trump agenda, but I don't really like the guy. Right. Uh, and the, the, the similarly uh, negative comments by Republicans about the president's total defense of MBS in the Khashoggi killing, where that, that's another area where there, we could see some oversight even in the Senate. Certainly we will in the House. Certainly we will in the House, and yes, even in the Senate. I, I think it's, I think there's a fair chance that uh, Congress attempts to and vote. 